it's Mike McEntee here on AM950. We've had a few problems here today, technically, but we're back with you now. Sorry for that. Uh, and we, It may sound a little bit different because we're using a little bit different setup to get to you, but here we are. We're on the air. Uh, Got to talk about uh, a couple of things here. Um, obviously, uh, the big story today, Donald Trump saying, oops, <laughs> we're not going to meet with North Korea. Uh, no... Uh, no, no Nobel Prize yet for Donald Trump on that. Uh, he's, we've gone from uh, talking peace to threatening military action. Uh, although Trump says the existing summit could take, uh, you know, place at a later date. Just stay tuned. And uh, another big story uh, for those of you who live in the third congressional district is that Eric Paulson is uh, following the lead of Jason Lewis. And no, it's not voting on something, but he's actually going to hold a town hall, uh, at least what's in name a town hall. We'll have to see what they are. Uh, he's announced that uh, next Wednesday, he's going to hold three town halls. These are the first ones he's held in a long, long time. And if they're anything like Jason Lewis's, they're going to be tightly controlled and not too many people are going to get in them. But you can go on. He's tweeted out links. He's going to be holding them in Hamill, Chanhassen, and Brooklyn Park at 10 a.m. in Hamill, 2 o'clock in Chanhassen, and 7 o'clock in Brooklyn Park. And I believe uh, the Dean Phillips, the Democratic candidate who's running against uh, uh, Eric Paulson, is encouraging people to go and be civil and uh, says that your uh, constant uh, reminders that uh, he hasn't held a town hall here might have finally paid off. Now, I mentioned Jason Lewis, Representative Jason Lewis in the 2nd Congressional District. He finally held something, I guess, that you might call a town hall. He held three of them this past weekend. And... Again, as I mentioned, not a lot of people got into them, but one of the few people who did is our next guest. Uh, Natalie Cherney was one of the few who got into Jason Lewis's town hall. Uh, Natalie, uh, thanks for hanging on and welcome to the program. Yeah, not a problem at all. I, I know you're on the road and uh, this is uh, kind of an imposition, but I'm glad you could well, join us today. you know what? I stopped for gas, so we're all good. I'm not driving. So oh, good. Safe. Good, good, good. Thankfully, uh, that's a good thing to do because we always encourage people to keep their eyes on the road when they're driving. So you got to go to uh, Jason Lewis's town hall, I guess we'll call it that for lack of a better term, uh, in Lakeville this past weekend. Uh, why did you want to talk to him? What, what did you want to go and talk to him about? Well, one, I just wanted to see if I could get a ticket. I, I didn't think I was going to go, but once I got in, I was like, you don't know what you're coming to, but let's go see what you have to say, because I want to remain open, um, as open as one can be, but he pre, I, I just, it did not, it was, a, it was what I expected it to be. Okay. You've, you've tried to get in touch with him before, haven't you? You've tried to uh, contact I his office? I, I kind of have a beef with him, um, when I called about gun control and, his staffer wasn't so great, and I just, I kind of stopped calling. I think that's why I got in. I just haven't called since. Whenever Parkland happened, around that okay. time, that's when I so, called in. So so, early, so this past winter, this uh, it was January, yeah. February, when you were trying to get in touch with him. Okay. So, but you did get a ticket. You did get in. Uh, tell mm -hmm. us what happened when you got in there. What, what happened? Well, I was one of the first people in line because I wanted to get a good seat. And I noticed there are so many empty seats. Also, I was, if I wasn't the only person of color, 
there weren't very many of us there. I didn't see any people of color, but I was the only person of color there. Hmm. And it felt very uncomfortable. And not, and just in a way that I've never felt at other gatherings that I've gone to. And it was a very large, it was a large room. It could have easily accommodated everybody who wanted a ticket that was outside. And Hmm. they refused to let them in. You said you felt uncomfortable. Is there, other than that you were the only person of color there, was there anything else that made you feel uncomfortable at this meeting? I think once hearing people speak and hearing that people actually buy into Fox News and buy into these Republican talking points, you can't help but feel as a person of color that there is a clear divide. And I don't know how to describe that to somebody else other than there's this visible wall that is up that I felt unsafe. It was just, it was very weird. It was a very weird aura. Um, but I just, I didn't feel safe. And I knew that going in there, I wasn't necessarily going to feel safe there. And luckily I had friends outside who wanted to get in but couldn't. And I found a woman to go with. Oh, she found me and... I felt safe in that way, that I wasn't the only person going there who disagreed with him, but I didn't feel safe in that room. So did you get to ask him a question during the uh, the event? I know you got to him afterwards, but did you get to talk to him during the event? I did. Um, so he opened up with 15 minutes where people could comment, and I argued for, I asked him point blank if he thought Black Lives Mattered. He didn't mm-hmm. have an answer, and I knew the answer, just knowing where he stands because one of the things that he continuously fails to do is if you look through most of his Facebook pictures, he's mostly with white men or white women. He doesn't necessarily meet with people of color or go out of his way. And I've made some comments and people are just like, Oh, you crazy liberal, like brown people are not the only people that matter. And like all lives matter. And it's not about that. It's about, being at the table. Mm-hmm. It's not that my life matters any more than yours, but I want my life to matter equally to your life. You you got to talk to him also at the end, uh, directly. Did. Uh, what you what did you talk to him about that and what was what was the interaction like? Well, I wanted to educate for more Medicaid funding. And it went after taxes when I asked him to tax the rich people. And he kept telling me, like, we have to cut taxes for everybody. Cut these taxes. And one of the supporters was cutting taxes. And I'm like, okay, one, we have so many more areas to fund. I work with a population who needs more Medicaid funding, not less. Mm -hmm. I see it every day. They're short-staffed. They don't live the lives they want because of a staffing shortage. And the staffing shortage is a direct result of funding. And they have medical needs, but most of the urgent ones are met. But they have other needs that could be met, but for flat-out funding reasons, are not met. And I wanted to take that position and tell them that I don't just want no Medicaid cuts. I want more funding. And he just was not for that at all. So you don't think he 
he heard you or he heard you and he's just going to disagree and not do what you want to do? Um, he heard me and he, but he just, he didn't care. He doesn't care. He said during his town hall, he's like, oh, we may disagree. Just because we disagree, like, I can hear you, but I don't have to listen to you. I was elected by this district. May I remind you, you were elected under a 2% margin. And just, I don't understand how you can say you represent the people. Oh, and then I got taken away when I asked him where he lives because he doesn't live in the second congressional district. No, although technically to run for Congress, you don't have to live in the district that uh, you're running for. You don't, which, but he's so lucky. He has Betty McCollum representing him. Like you want to trade? I'll I'll happily trade. (laughs) Okay. So overall, I mean, what did you think about this? Did it feel like a real town hall or just political theater? No, absolutely not. Not at all. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but no, you can't call it a town hall. It was, the thing opened with a prayer, literally a prayer about gun violence. He blamed pr- fatherless children for shooting up schools. It was a campaign event paid for by the U- by the taxpayers. It wasn't a town hall at all. So do you feel like you accomplished anything by getting in there? Do you feel like uh, anything changed or it was just everybody wasted their time? I think he definitely knows my name now. I will never be invited to a town hall again. And I think he's scared. I think the reason why he held this is because he's scared. And Mm -hmm. he should be because we have been on the ground and we are knocking on doors, and we are going to make sure that this man, what what humbled me at the end was I was thinking 500 days from now, he's not going to be my representative. So in some sense, we let him know that we're not going away. And I think that's a great thing. Um, Karen Gallagher did an amazing job working with Planned Parenthood and Siri Everett, Everett, I might have her last name wrong, but they did amazing jobs making sure that their people's voices were heard. Hmm. And if people well, like want to protest, like get more active, CD, cd2action.org, I believe. And CD2 so Action. We did accomplish that. We accomplished oh. him making sure that he knew that we're not going away. All right. CD2Action.org, a place for people to go. They want to take more action. Yeah, it's a great group founded by grassroots activists who are making sure that we get a progressive elected. Okay. And uh, in that, we should mention, it's uh, Angie Craig is the Democrat who is running in the 2nd Congressional District. Angie, she's amazing. She actually cares and has a brain. It's wonderful. I can't Natalie even compare Ch- her to Jason. Natalie they, they Cherney. Don't compare. Uh, Natalie was one of the people, one of the few people who got into one of the Jason Lewis's uh, town halls this past weekend. Natalie, thank you so much for taking time to uh, to join us today on the program. Yeah, thank you so much. And I hope you have a great Memorial Day weekend. All right. And we're going to take a break, folks. But when we get back, we're going to talk to somebody else who got in to uh, talk to Jason Lewis. Uh, We'll do that in just a few minutes. You're listening to The Mike McEntee Show here on AM 950. 
crazy about pets? We are too. The Pet Connection Show is a great venue for fun, informative, and creative conversations about pets. Join myself, Kathy Menard, and Dr. Nicole Parole, along with guests who are leaders in the dynamic and growing pet industry, as we discuss healthcare, relationships, behaviors, and even political issues as they relate to our pets. So come, sit, stay for the Pet Connection Show, Sundays 11 a.m. to noon on AM 950 Radio, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Stages Theatre Company is dedicated to creating a space where diverse opinions, courageous dialogue, and community engagement is not only valued, but vital to our shared artistic and educational success. Stages Theatre Company creates a welcoming home for all. For over 30 years, Stages has supported quality theater programming for children. Stages gives opportunities for youth to be on stage, backstage, in the audience, and in the classroom. Whether you come to see a show, enroll a young person in a workshop, or benefit from their outreach programs in the community, Stages brings art to life. Learn about Stages Theater by going to stagestheater.org and become part of the magic of live theater by taking your family to an amazing show or enrolling someone you love in an education program. Stages Theater Company operates out of the Hopkins Center for the Arts, located in Main Street in the heart of downtown Hopkins. For more information on Stages Theater, go to stagestheater.org. That's stagestheater.org. At Pride Institute, being LGBTQ plus is the norm, not the exception. Their highly trained and skilled staff understand your issues and will help you live a happy, healthy life as a proud LGBTQ plus person. They offer you hope to overcome your addiction and live the life you want. Their treatment programs are designed to assist you in developing the knowledge, skills, and attitudes for long-term recovery. Therapy groups include health education, LGBTQ issues, HIV and chronic illness, trauma, grief and loss, transgender support, nicotine recovery, education, and sexual health. Pride Institute offers a residential treatment program, a partial hospitalization program that includes day programming with lodging, and an intensive outpatient program. If you or someone in your life can benefit from guidance and coping skills, life balance, and other tools necessary for long-term recovery, check them out at pride-institute.com or call 800-547-7433 now. With your AM 950 weather, this is Eric Nelson. Today will be mostly sunny with a high near 90. Tonight, a 60% chance of rain with half an inch possible. Friday, mostly sunny with a high near 89. Friday night, mostly clear with a low around 65. Saturday will be sunny with a high near 91. The Bad Waitress at 700 Central in Northeast Minneapolis is a bit more grown up than its sister on Nicollet. This finer diner vibe has a full bar serving craft cocktails and a brand new inventive dinner menu including the chicken did waffle. Check out the full menu at thebadwaitress.com. Show. Congressman Jason Lewis held three town halls this weekend. That's three more than he's held his entire first term. Now, despite the number of town halls, very few people actually got into the meeting. Well, one of the people who did make it in was Bjorn Johnson of Invergrove Heights, and he joins us right now. Bjorn, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. Now, as I mentioned, uh, Jason Lewis had three town halls. Which one did you get to? I was into Lakeville one. The Lakeville one. And how did you get in? Because I've heard from a lot of people. They sent their emails. They wanted to get in. They all got rejection letters, but somehow you did. How did you get in? So I was not the first one to get my application, and many other people did before me. 
And I initially got a rejection letter. I got a note saying that there it was not enough space available to say no to everyone else did. So I thought I was not going to get in. But then I checked my email again a few hours later, and I was surprised to find second email that said I had a ticket. So I went with the ones that had, said I had a ticket, and I went there and I was able to get it. I don't know if it was a mistake on the part of a staff member because they initially rejected me and then sent one out. I, I, I hear that this happening to one other person now. Aside from that, I know it couldn't have happened to too many people because a lot of people had had to do business reverse. There would have been more people in the audience. There was hardly anyone there. So... Hmm. So you're saying there wasn't a lot of people who who a got in, and there weren't weren't a lot of people at the uh, at the town hall. You said there were a lot of seats. I saw you do a little write up on Facebook about this. What what was up with that? Yes. So, like I said before, the first email I said it got said the venue had limits. Well, when I got in, I discovered that was a complete lie. There was tons of space available. Uh, only about a third of the rooms floor even had chairs set up. There were, were about a hundred chairs set up in a room that could have held 300 chairs. And of those 100 chairs, only about half of them were filled with people. Most, like Half of the chairs were empty, and two-thirds of the room did not even have chairs. So they could have easily fit five times as many people in that room as what they had, and that's not an exaggeration. There was so much extra space. They could have easily fit at least 200 more people in that room than what they had. So a lot of people uh, did not get in. Uh, of those who did get in, do you feel like the deck was stacked in Jason Lewis's favor, or do you feel it was kind of a good sample of people who are in the 2nd Congressional District? There were a few people who were critics of him. In the front, he had a whole group of people, which was close to half the group. It said were all his supporters, and they were clapping at what he said. Now, there was a public comment period, which is the only time we were actually allowed to speak during the whole thing, was a public comment period where we could make a one-minute statement. He wouldn't answer any questions directly from us, but he'd allow us to make a one-minute statement that he would not respond to directly. And of the people who made the one-minute statement, there were about 10 of us. Half were in favor of Jason Lewis, and the other half was exempt. So that part was pretty evenly split. It was mostly an issue of a lot of empty seats and very little chance to interact with Jason Lewis himself. So did you get to uh, make a comment, and what was the reaction to of Jason Lewis to all the things that people were saying? So yes, I did make a comment. There were a few people who spoke out quickly before me, so I was actually the third person to make a comment on all the empty seats in the room. And I told him straight out that it was absolutely shameful that he told people that the event was full when there was clearly plenty of room to feed more people. And there were 80 people outside who wanted to get in. Many of these were constituents who got the letter saying the event was full, and then they got there and to see it was a lie, and there was plenty of space for them. But So I demanded that those people be let in, but he did not listen. He did not respond directly to me, but later on, a few minutes later in the program, he did address the basic issue, also not very well. He was saying that all of the empty seats were from people who were provided tickets but didn't show up. He did not mention that two-thirds of the floor did not even have chairs in them, so he only tried to justify the chairs that were empty, but he did not do anything to try and justify all the empty space that the chairs could have been placed. 
and he would not allow people outside and because he said he was worried about political violence. He was talking about Steve Scalise, who is a congressman who was shot out in Virginia, and he was implying that all of these people outside were potential terrorists, literally what he was implying. Yet just a few minutes after he was talking about these potentially violent people outside, who I will say were mothers and grandmothers, they were Planned Parenthood with a primary organization outside of there. So it was mostly women outside. They were sending to the tune of wheels on the bus. It was not a violent crowd. They were having a fun time. They were very pleasant, and he was trying to imply they might be violent. But then right after he started was talking about them being potentially violent, he got on to talk about the Second Amendment and how he supports gun rights and everything. So one minute he was telling us he couldn't let these people in because he was afraid they might have a gun. The next minute he was talking about people's rights to carry weapons. And it was a huge disconnect there. That I don't think he even realized the hypocrisy, but it was very evident to me. We're speaking with Bjorn Johnson, one of the very few people who got to see Jason Lewis this weekend at a town hall meeting. He got to the Lakeville meeting. Uh, Bjorn, I was reading what you wrote, and you said that you're kind of uncomfortable, I think maybe other people too, or at least you were questioning the appropriateness of a prayer that was offered at the beginning of this. Talk, talk to me about that. Tell me about that. Yeah, so the first thing that happened when Jason Lewis walked up to the front of the room, but they had a prayer, which I think is very inappropriate to begin with because this is a public event. People from all different religious backgrounds, people who aren't religious at all, I think just having a prayer at this event is inappropriate to begin with. But what made this one even more inappropriate is the person who was delivering the prayer at the beginning made a comment about how we need to pray for Jason Lewis, and then he went on how we need to pray that people get out to vote. And the implication was, that people should get out and vote for Jason Lewis, and this was in a prayer. So people were praying that Jason Lewis gets votes, and it seemed very inappropriate to me. I mean, it sounds more like a campaign event or a campaign rally than a meeting with town, a town hall meeting with constituents. Is, is that kind of the impression that you were getting out of this then? I mean, it, it most definitely was not a town hall. We had no real chance to interact with him. Through his entire event, he did not change words with anyone except for one person who interrupted him. So the only way that anyone was able to actually interact with him was to break the rules and to speak out of turn because we weren't allowed to ask questions directly of him. The questions were given to what we wrote them down a postcard, and they were given to his campaign aide who drew them out of a bucket, but he only read some of the questions that he drew out of the bucket. There were other questions that he would draw, and they would say this has already been covered and move on to the next question without the question actually being asked. And the one time he actually interacted with someone was when her card got drawn, and he said, said, we're not going to do this because it's already been covered. And she stood up and said, no, this has not been covered. Please ask a question. And and he's like, okay, okay, and he did. And it was a question about a seven-year-old who was killed from gun violence. And then Jason Lewis started answering, and his answer wasn't very good, so the woman jumped in again, and they had a little back and forth. And it was about a one-minute back and forth, and that one minute was the only time for his entire town hall that there was any direct interaction between Jason Lewis and the constituents. 
Now, Jason Lewis says that he's held lots of town halls, but this is the first face-to-face one that he's held with constituents that's been pre-announced. The other ones have been teletone halls where questions get pre-screened a lot like they did on this time, but there's no opportunity for somebody to say, hey, you didn't answer the question, or I really do want you to answer that question. When, when, you, when you got done with this town hall, did your opinion of Jason Lewis change at all? Did you have a different view of him, or was it pretty much the same? I would say it was different. I mean, I, I was never a supporter of his by any means, but I never thought he would do something this incredibly stupid because, I mean, he straight up lied to his constituents. It one thing to be scared and not answer questions, but he straight up lied and told his constituents that this event was full and there was no space for them in it when he knew very well that was not true. There was tons of extra space. So those letters he sent out were blatant lies. And, like, how did he think he was going to get by with this without being called on it? I, I mean, it really it calls into question his judgment and even his intelligence. I mean, I always thought he was a somewhat smart guy, even though I disagreed with him on a lot of stuff. I never thought he would do something this incredibly stupid. All right. We've been speaking with Bjorn Johnson. He is a constituent of Jason Lewis. He lives in Inver Grove Heights. Uh, unlike Jason Lewis, he actually lives in the district. And Bjorn, thank you so much for talking to us today. Thank you for having me. Now, as we mentioned earlier, Eric Paulson is following the lead of Jason Lewis and is holding three town halls next Wednesday, 10 o'clock in Hamill, 2 o'clock in Chanhassen, 7 o'clock in Brooklyn Park. CD3 residents only, limited seating. Sounds familiar? There's already a wait list. Uh, You'll have to get a ticket if you want to go. And if you happen to go and you happen to get in, I think we'll probably want to hear from you next week. Uh, We're going to take a break here right now, but when we get back, we are going to check in on what happened to the environment or at least the environmental issues at the Capitol this past legislative session. There's stuff still pending. We'll check in with Steve Morse from the Minnesota Environmental Partnership next year on the Mike McEntee Show. Connections Radio Show is all about tapping into our hardwired hunger to connect. We examine meaningful connections to ourselves, our community, and the world around us. By opening the door to innovative insights by a wide variety of interesting guests, we'll make the connections to something bigger than ourselves. Join me, Lori Fitz, your host of Connections Radio Show, and together we'll make the connections. Saturday mornings at 9 a.m. on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. What kind of a jackass would let an animal pick their insurance? Did you really think a lizard could save you money on car insurance? Would you let a duck pick your health policy? Insurance can be a zoo, but this is ridiculous. What you really need is an insurance agent that isn't looking out for the insurance companies. You need Cheryl at Array, an independent agent with 30 years experience looking for the best rate possible. Quit monkeying around and call 763-504-3067. That's 763-504-3067 for Cheryl at Array, representing you, not the insurance companies companies. Northeast Minneapolis is known for its creativity, and you'll know exactly why when you eat at Hazel's Northeast. Their creatively prepared comfort food will have you coming back week after week. Breakfasts like biscuits and gravy, granola pancakes, and brisket hash. For lunch, homemade soup, and one of the best Rubens in town. And don't miss the daily risotto or Chef Ali's ever-changing dinner specials. Come on in. Bring the whole family. Hazel's Northeast delivers real good food. Family owned at 29th and Johnson in Minneapolis. 
Branding electrolysis on Grand Avenue in St. Paul has been a leader in permanent hair removal for people of all skin types and backgrounds for over 30 years, celebrating diversity and priding themselves on finding the right treatment plan for each client's individual needs, regardless of race or gender. Services include electrolysis, body waxing, facials, microneedling, and permanent makeup. Book your 60-minute complimentary consultation, including a 15-minute treatment today, for beautiful, lasting results. Visit BrendingElectrolysis.com. Hey, it's Mike Vacanti back here on AM 950. The dust is sort of settling at the Capitol. Governor Mark Dayton still has a few bills to consider, whether to veto or sign. So what was or wasn't accomplished when it comes to the environment? Joining us to talk about that is Steve Morris from the Minnesota Environmental Partnership, who probably spent a lot of late nights at the Capitol this uh, past week. Steve, welcome to the program. Well, g- glad to be here, and yeah, it was a it was a long weekend. Let's say that there were a lot of shenanigans, and uh, yeah, again, late nights over the weekend. But um, glad glad they finally went home. That's all I can say. Late nights and weekend. That's why you signed up for this work, didn't you? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> well, you know, you get used to it after a while. Just part of the rite of spring. It is. It is. So what happened? We had a lot of things, a lot of moving parts at the end here. Governor Dayton's vetoed some stuff. What's the bottom line on uh, on some of these things for the yeah, for the, the you know, and, and that's a, and that's a really good question. You know, you know, in these days when you know we really need to make progress on climate and pollination, health and water quality. Um, the truth is transit, you know, things we didn't make any progress on at all. You know, what basically what this session was defined as was uh, rollbacks, raids, and vetoes. So there was a lot of work, defensive work, stopping things. Um, there was virtually uh, almost nothing good and productive that came out of the session. But fortunately, because of a lot of hard work by a lot of people, including your listeners um, and other citizens, and the great work of Governor Dayton, um, really not much got into law that was bad, at least not yet, let's say that. And so, you know, there were major things that were vetoed, other things that were turned back, um, but nothing good. Rollbacks, raids, and vetoes sounds like a name of a band I might want to go see down at the 7th Street entry. So. <laughs> The band uh, of public policy. <laughs> yeah, public policy. It'd be, it'd be a cacophony of noise. Uh, one of those bills <laughs> that uh, we've been paying attention to was the bill that was basically, uh, hey, uh, Enbridge, just come in and put a pipeline in. We don't care. Uh, how, what happened to that bill? Well, you know, that's one of the, the bills that, um, you know, we testified against and, you know, really worked hard to, to stop. And it was really an unfair maneuver to help this uh, Canadian corporation put in a tar sands oil pipeline across Minnesota. Um, and it did make it to the legislature. I think it just goes to show how out of sync this legislature is with the needs right now and where the public is right now. But the good news is it was a standalone bill, and Governor Va- Governor Dayton vetoed it. Governor did a great job on that and just said, no, we're not going to end-run the process. Um, the PUC will be considering this, and I'm sure we'll be talking about that this summer. There are going to be you know, four days' worth of hearings, but that's later this summer, and that process is going to go ahead. So thank you, Governor Vito, Governor Dayton, and all, all the people who spoke up against this, because it's, it's really a bad idea. I've called him Governor Vito a couple times accidentally on the air here, too. So it's apparently uh, <laughs> I'm not the only one that has those words connected in my mind. Uh, speaking yes. of Vito, 
he uh, he did uh, veto he vetoed a couple of big bills that the Republicans yeah. kind of rolled everything together. The the mega omnibus uh, giganticus uh, bill, which was like almost a thousand pages, it was allegedly a spending bill, but uh, very little spending in it. Most of it policy, and there were some things in there that related to the environment. Uh, what did he veto that uh, didn't get through here? Yeah, and, and we um, earlier this week had called for a veto of that bill. Um, a lot of uh, a number of things that were bad were taken out, but they still, you know, they just have this habit of throwing so much stuff against the wall and to see what sticks. And there were some bad things in there, um, such as um, saving XL Energy. I think it was along the magnitude of an estimated three hundred million dollars by capping the fees that XL is required to pay for their high-level radioactive waste that is stored in these dry casks at their nuclear power plants. And this was something that was put in in 1994 when Excel pushed this legislation through the legislature and said, this is just a temporary storage. And so they're paying a half a million dollars a year per cask to help with our conversion to renewable energy. Well, of course, these things haven't moved, and they're putting more and more of them there, so now they want to get out of the deal. And um, that was in the budget bill that Governor vetoed, so we're very, very happy to see that. Um, Another one, and I won't give you all the examples, just a couple here. Another one was to give industries a uh, kind of a holiday in in complying with um, water quality standards. And so if they do an upgrade to their water quality system, then the legislature passed a provision that said, hey, if you do one upgrade, you're good for 16 years. 16 years. It doesn't matter, you know, what we find, what new science, what what new standards come into place. Um, you won't be required to do a significant upgrade in 16 years. Now, you know, I wish I wish I could have that in some of my uh, personal life, um, but you know, things change, and you know, we expect that when possible, when permits come up, that you take a look at them and upgrade them if the need is warranted. But um, they wanted to give this 16-day, 16-year holiday to industry, and uh, fortunately, um, it was vetoed. We're happy. Okay, I, I want to go back to uh, the the one you just mentioned, the uh, the one with Excel. Was that the one where they said we're going to designate the nuclear power plant as a carbon reduction facility? Was that the language that just was so obscure I I couldn't figure it out? And that's essentially what it does. It just gave them a, a, a essentially uh, a, a way to avoid paying some money. Yeah, no, no. Actually, that was um, another provision that actually was kept out of the bill in the end. Ah. Um, okay. They were looking to, um, you know, do it to change the way the PUC could review their costs for upgrading the nuclear plants to keep them operating. And so, yeah, you know, now they they term it, you know, carbon reduction fee. But what they wanted to do is get out of. Um, the full PUC review, especially the advanced review, so the PUC would look. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they wanted they wanted to just have. Uh, uh, a sign-off ahead of time rather than having PUC review their costs after the fact, which is the way it's traditionally worked, and, and, allow, and then deciding which could be charged against the customers and which costs would be charged against the investors. Um, but they wanted a kind of a clean slate up front. Uh, it was a bailout for Excel, and that did not make it into the final bill. Um, but this other bailout for Excel, which is capping their nuclear fees for the storage of their high-level waste, um, did make it in the bill but was vetoed. Now this next thing here just kind of has me concerned. There was a, we we always hear about gee we can't we got to be careful when we're cleaning our boats when we take them from one uh, body of water to another that we don't have any you know invasive species hiding on them because that's how this stuff spreads, and they were actually going to let 
bodies of water exchange here in Minnesota. Tell me about that. What happened to that? Yeah, and it's it's another one of these harebrained ideas that was um, uh, in, in the bill that basically would have allowed um, transfer of water from one body to another and weaken the regulatory authority. And so, yeah, I mean, it's kind of crazy that we do all this work to clean out boats and steam clean them and drain them and dry them. And the legislature wanted to make it simpler to do basin or do transfers from one lake to another. Um, and the concern is that if you don't have good regulatory oversight there, you could be transferring invasive species. And um, again, it's, there's this kind of this rampant uh, rush to deregulate and to, to get rid of the protections that we have for our great outdoors, for our air, land, and water, um, just to make it simpler for, for businesses largely to do, to do what they want to do. Um, and so um, we opposed this. Um, it wasn't one of the biggest items in the legislature, but we opposed it. And um, again, they put it in the budget bill thinking they could sneak it through. And Governor Dayton was just real clear and said, no, sorry. And, uh, you know, I really give him credit for that. He just said, no, you know, if you put in things I don't want uh, and don't, don't uh, want to see happen, I'm going to veto it. And he did. Yeah, and there's another one here. This is this is again. I just go. I scratch my head, but it's kind of the war on science. The whole idea is, if we don't like science, let's just change the way we define things. And they were going to let scientists with conflicts of interest do what they de define things as peer reviewed, even though that's not the the standard that we have uh, for peer reviewed. Tell me about that. Right. And so, and so just in, in part of the process, when, when we're doing like peer review of standards or some sort of like a scientific standard, um, you know, what happens is, um, you know, we have these, you know, corporate interests that really push to have these kind of, sometimes they're kind of questionable peer reviews set up so that they can basically challenge the agency scientists. And, you know, if it's, if it's, because there is a lot of peer review that happens in the scientific process with the agencies and setting up the standards, you know, that is all good. But these these kind of um, kangaroo court peer reviews are, are really questionable. And then to make it worse, what they, uh, what they did is they had some language that said that, well, if you're on one of these peer review councils uh, and uh, let's say you work maybe for one of the industry, um, as long as you disclose that, that's just fine. You can just, you know, wear, wear those two hats and uh, just, just disclose it and then, and then we'll be okay with it, which we think is kind of ludicrous. You know, it, some of these panels are a little suspect anyway and very time-consuming because they're repetitive and, and redundant. Um, but then you have some who just uh, maybe working for the industry that they're reviewing? It just it just uh, it's kind of comical on its, on its face, but those are the types of things that people are trying to get you know passed into law. And then there's this uh, I'll call it the zombie wild rice bill or the whack-a-mole <laughs> bill because every time it seemed like this thing was dead, it popped up in another piece of legislation. This yep. was the thing that was about you know when we talk about wild rice you know, sulfide or sulfate standards, I believe. What it's really about is about mining and clean water. Uh, that apparently is uh, still hanging out there. Yeah, you're, and you're right. The governor governor vetoed an earlier version, <clears throat> and then the last uh, you know last week or ten days, there were efforts to try to. Uh, he wanted to see if he could get some um, negotiated compromise put into place, and the negotiations fell apart. Um, we were you know party to some of those discussions, and it was with the administration and some of the advocates and industry and and labor unions. Um, but what happened is they they fell apart, and then um, the Republican authors just took the language that they wanted um, and put it in a bill and uh, sent it to the governor. And um, 
it's 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 really bad because it it suspends the federal clean water act it stops enforcement of the standard puts in place a really complicated process to move forward and it expands this exemption that they that they've had for the last couple of years to get around this water quality standard it expands it to new permittees so and that means um, polymet twin metals other mines sulfide mines that can be coming that may be coming down the road so now what they're trying to do is exempt these new mines from this standard, even though the new mines have said they will put in the investment in order to meet the current standard, and now they're trying to exempt them by law. And so it's really outrageous. It sets up a, a task force that you know, isn't the worst thing in the world. I don't think it's well-structured, and it was done without a lot of input. But it does set in place a task force. But the, but the bad part is it indefinitely suspends this Clean Water Act standard, and that is sitting on the governor's desk. Um, we have asked for a veto. Um, you know, you'll see it out on social media. We're encouraging people to contact the governor and say, you know, please veto this. Please veto this. And you can find out more about it on our website. But um, please veto this. Do not let this exemption of the Clean Water Act go into law. He's under a lot of pressure to sign it by those who, you know, want to see the legislature make some changes in this. And that includes, you know, some of the labor unions and others that are involved in construction. Right. Steve, we're, we've got just a, a few seconds left here, but I want to quickly touch on the bonding bill, which has some stuff in it yeah. that we, you say we should be worried about. Yeah, and, and, and that's a biggie. You know, remember how the lottery um, uses the loan to promote the lottery because some mm -hmm. of the money is set aside for the environment, and that money goes into the Environment Natural Resources Trust Fund. It's been established 30 years. It can only be used for certain types of new additive environmental projects. Well, they did a massive raid where they are they have in the bonding bill an effort to bond for $100 million worth of new projects for wastewater and uh, uh, farm programs, just basic, uh, ordinary government stuff, but to actually go around the process and bond for it, which locks the money up for 20 years. And we're very opposed to that. It's a circumventation, it circumvents the process, and it violates the trust and the standards of what that yeah. fund would be used for. So um, that's also on the governor's desk. We are asking for a line item veto. Okay. Steve Morris from the uh, Minnesota Environmental Partnership. We have to run. We're out of time. But mepartnership.org is where you can find more information. That's it for today's show. I'm Mike McEntee. We'll be back tomorrow. Norman Goldman is up next. And remember, Mom, thank you for listening. We always appreciate you. We'll talk to you. In a, we'll see you tomorrow. See you tomorrow. Bye-bye. Hey.